the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Change makers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. Have you ever wondered why you make yourself invisible, procrastinate, or please others to get their approval? According to Dr. Friedman Schaub, our subconscious employs these types of survival patterns to protect us. But living in a survival mode has significant downsides. Dr. Schaub joins us today to discuss how to break free from common survival patterns. Dr. Schaub is a physician, researcher, personal development coach, and the author of the award-winning book, The Fear and Anxiety Solution. His new book is The Empowerment Solution, Six Keys to Unlocking Your Full Potential with the Subconscious Mind. Welcome, Dr. Shaw. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. Well, it's wonderful to have you back on the show. It's been some time, but I'm so happy that you're here now. And this is such an important topic, doctor, because most people, you may even say everyone, but most people live their life in some sort of a survival pattern. So let's begin by discussing what a survival pattern is. Yes, you're absolutely right. And in general, I think we all use those patterns from time to time. I mean, whether it's procrastination or avoiding things that we are not comfortable with, whether it's sometimes over-pleasing or blending in with the people that we want to somehow be liked by, these are patterns we usually, you know, from time to time use. They become survival patterns when they are the predominant way we are interacting with the world. And when they are driven mainly by stress, anxiety, lack of self-worth, when those patterns make us basically stuck in living a life that is way smaller than it needs to be, that's when they become survival patterns. And that's when we have to ask ourselves, am I anxious and stressed because I'm living in those patterns and those patterns are reinforcing my anxiety? So let's talk a little bit about our autopilot programming. Can you give us some background about the subconscious mind? How is it programmed and how does it impact the way we live? Now, the subconscious is the deeper part of our mind that we all know, we all have interactions with, whether it's our, you know, impulses, even though we really want to lose weight, but we still find ourselves in the drive-through of some are, you know, our favorite uh, fast food joint or our dreams come from the subconscious. Things we do automatically without even thinking like washing our hair or you know, eating while we are watching TV. The subconscious is very powerful. It plays a huge role in our lives. But the subconscious is also ultimately our inner protector. So when we are consciously and based on our uh, physical development early in our life, not really capable of protecting ourselves. the subconscious takes over and it says, okay, let me look at this world and let me look at you here. And, oh, wow, father is not really happy with you because you were, you know, too loud or, oh, wow, your friends are ditching you for somebody else. Mm, That is really dangerous. So the subconscious observes, takes notes and 
tries to somehow figure out how to avoid pain, rejection, neglect, all of those things that can potentially make us not, quote unquote, survive. And these uh, conclusions of the subconscious observation are usually uh, defined by beliefs, beliefs such as I am not safe, others can be trusted, I'm not good enough, I don't fit in, failure needs to be avoided. These are just some of the core beliefs that are very early in our lives installed. Those beliefs are driving behaviors such as those survival patterns. Is it true then that, is, is it something like age five or seven, the majority of these programs are written and they're not even written by us, they're written by everyone around us? Well, they are basically caused by everything, everybody around us. You're right. They are not necessarily something we are, you know, consciously choosing and they are not something that defines us. You know, when someone is rejecting us, abusing us, hurting us, that doesn't mean that we deserve to be treated this way. But the subconscious takes it very personally. And that can happen even earlier in life. I mean, those subconscious protection patterns, they can happen even, you know, at birth. So this is something that is very, very deeply ingrained. And we are noticing those beliefs and patterns of the subconscious uh, getting triggered when we feel just like we felt early in our lives. You know, let's say, for example, you get somehow criticized by your boss and you shrink like the child get that got ridiculed by the teacher or you don't get a call back from your friend when you, you know, when you wanted to meet and you feel exactly this desperation that you had when you were a teenager and your friends, you know, just didn't want to talk to you anymore. When we feel very small, very powerless and driven by anxiety and insecurity, we know that these old patterns got reactivated. Doctor, what are the six most common survival patterns? And if you would, just give us a brief description of each. So in, gro in broad strokes, there are two modes that I think are the most common ones, which are the avoidance and the pleasing mode. And each of those has three specific patterns that I also observe very often in my clients. So the avoidance mode has the the victim pattern. And the victim pattern is basically when we are always feeling somehow things are done to us, whether it's that we are seeing other people as the ones that misunderstand us or mistreat us, or whether we see ourselves as a victim of our emotions, our circumstances. The victim pattern is a survival pattern because it always keeps you vigilantly looking around, waiting for whatever happened in the past to repeat itself. And usually it's more about blaming others than taking responsibility for ourselves. The second pattern is the invisibility pattern, which basically says you're better off not getting noticed, not saying something, and also disconnecting yourself from others than trying to reach out or trying to be a part of because that's not safe or you will not fit in. The third avoidance pattern is the procrastination pattern, where we are avoiding failure or avoiding discomfort because we don't want to really do things that we feel are maybe too hard, too much for us to do. And so I think we all are very familiar with the procrastination pattern. We are just doing other things or looking for instant gratification. So these are all the avoidance. And the pleasers are more the ones that are reaching out for others for help, approval, a sense of security, a sense of belonging. So the first pattern is the chameleon pattern, where we are naturally blending in with anyone around us. We are just picking up how do we need to act? What questions do we need to ask? How do we need to, you know, believe in order to fit in with those people? The second one is the pleaser, the helper, that can even lead to the martyr pattern where we just constantly overgive and overplease and put ourselves always on the back burner. And then the third pattern is the lover pattern. And the lover pattern is a pattern of the codependent in some ways, the one that always looks for one specific person to feel complete, to have that person as the answers to all problems. And no matter how dysfunctional the relationship is, there is this holding on to the hope that one day that chosen one 
will come around or will change. And it's a very, very destructive pleaser pattern that may not be as common, but it's really important to look at because it can really completely derail your life when you're stuck in it. So do we usually have one dominant pattern? We, we probably can take on different ones at different times, but is there usually one that dominates our life? It's more contextual. It's very, you know, there are patterns of, you know, I used to be because of my beliefs and my anxiety, I used to be an overachiever at work. And, you know, when it came to having a career, but then in social settings, I was more an avoider trying just to, you know, keep people at arm's length. Now, my avoidance was much more about being the one that no one really knew. No one really saw my vulnerability, but I was, you know, around other people, but I avoided basically being seen uh, for anything else but what I wanted to be seen. No, so we can really be in different contexts, different or fall into different patterns. But, you know, we have to, if we want to resolve them step by step, focus on the one that drains you the most. You know, the thing about survival patterns is that they do two things to you. The first one is they give your power away. So you always either make other people as a threat. So you always focus on how can I get away from them? Or you make the other people as, you know, the saving grace, the ones that makes you feel better about yourself. And you never really, you know, feel like that you're empowered to live in your own way, to to walk your own path. And the second, uh, you would say, negative side effect of those patterns is that they disconnect uh, ourselves from ourselves. We are, we are not asking ourselves important questions such as, What's important to me? What do I want? What are my values? Who am I? What's my purpose? Because we are constantly in the self-defense mode. And if we feel powerless and disconnected from ourselves, it is like fuel for more anxiety and more insecurity. And that's why it's such a vicious cycle we can get into. So if this is happening at the subconscious level and we're not even aware of our behavior, how do we turn this around? Well, awareness is the first step. You know, it's uh, uh, my work is very much about conscious, subconscious collaboration. That means getting the conscious intellectual part of the mind in alignment with our subconscious, because the subconscious as an inner protector is a little bit like an overprotective nanny that just assumes that we are still little kids who cannot take care of ourselves. So we are operating with an outdated owner's manual. And so what we need to do consciously is to be aware, what are our old beliefs? What are those behavioral patterns that drain us and don't really, you know, fuel us or help us to grow? And then, as I describe in the book, really taking these step-by-step measures to outgrow and update those patterns so that they're really much more, you know, tapping into our potential rather than limiting us. And that's what, uh, you know, I think we all can do in order to make our lives more rich and fulfilling, to step out of that what makes us feel comfortable, but ultimately limits us in going more into that bigger version of ourselves. Because when we spend more time in our conscious mind, we can rewrite that programming. We can create new neural pathways. Absolutely. And that's the beauty about when you're consciously working with the subconscious, that you become the leader of your life. I often talk about the empowered leader of your life who is leading the subconscious with consistency, with confidence, with commitment. But then there is a key also with compassion. You cannot just override the subconscious with sheer willpower or logic. The subconscious cares very little about what makes sense, which is why so many emotions don't really make sense. The subconscious cares very much about how things feel. And unless we are feeling trust, we are feeling compassion for ourselves, we are feeling connected to ourselves, ultimately feeling a sense of appreciation and love for ourselves, the subconscious says, well, you're your own worst enemy, so sorry, I will still run my protective patterns. So this relationship with yourself 
needs to change in order to step out of these patterns, not only on a conscious level, but also on the level of the emotions and, you know, for lack of a better word, in your heart. Why do people cling to these survival patterns so tightly? For example, we all know people that might live in that victim mentality that, like you described, everything happens to them. And if you try to point it out to that person, they become very defensive. They will take it on and say, that is not me. So why are we so protective of these patterns? Well, I think two things. One is, as a society, we are overwhelmed. We just feel bombarded constantly with pressure with things that we are supposed to do or supposed to live up to. There are now so many sources that tell us this is the way and this is the truth and that's what you need to be, that we are confused and overwhelmed and we don't really spend time with ourselves and look inside. And that's why these patterns have one you know, big still purpose to be. They make us feel comfortable because they make us feel, well, we know that. We, it's familiar, let's just stay in there. And at some point, they become our identity. And getting out of those patterns takes a little introspection. It takes time with yourself. And it takes also the step to be uncomfortable for a moment. You know, the discomfort is something we are so avoiding. We always feel like, you know, even when we are talking about something and then we are saying, well, sorry, this makes me uncomfortable to talk about this topic. I mean, why are we so attached to comfort? Because we are so scared that outside of the comfort zone, there is something we cannot handle. And I think that's really the two reasons why being in survival mode is something we are still glued to. But at the same time, that's also the reason why as a nation or as a society, we become more and more scared and more and more lost I mean, when you really look at how many people are now clinging on to, you know, things that really absolutely don't make sense, it is because there is a fear-driven need for someone to tell us the truth. Rather than going inside and looking for our truth, we are hoping someone else will point us away. So we become more and more powerless and more and more disconnected. And I think that's a very dangerous path we are on. When people learn to break these patterns, how do they become empowered? You know, it really is interesting. It's a very good question. It certainly varies from person to person. But the first step is that they feel there is a relief. It is almost like a, finally there is acceptance. Finally, there is a sense of peace with themselves. And then when they're realizing I'm actually in the driver's seat, I can choose. I can always see, oh, yeah, I have a choice to go down into this old pattern or move forward on a new way of being where I take responsibility, where I am self-reliant, where I use self-compassion, all these keys to tapping into your full potential that I describe in the book. When you're realizing, wow, these keys are also a sense of power. They make me the creator of my life. And there is a a sense of motivation and excitement that brings ultimately forth new ways of being. I have seen people changing careers. I have seen people, you know, all of a sudden uh, going and writing books about their past rather than feeling like they are trapped in it. But I also have seen people staying exactly in the same place they were, but feeling so much more on purpose and so much more aligned because they see themselves as the ones that make a difference rather than feeling like the world is dominating them. So it's a, it's a you know, gradual enfoldment from feeling more uh, relieved and at peace to feeling truly, I can create my life the way I choose to. And what, you know, I also find happens is that you may gain more clarity on why you're here. Mm -hmm. You know, when we're living in survival, we're not thinking about thriving. It's not a very creative state to be in. But when you're in this more empowered place, all of a sudden you do feel much more that there is something inside of you that you're here to share, or there is a gift that you all along knew was there, but you always kind of felt, well, that's not special enough. And then you feel the strength and the motivation actually to do something with this. 
You know what I find fascinating? I've been doing a lot of this work in my own life, and I have grown a lot, and, and I've been able to break a lot of my patterns. But there are times when I find myself backsliding, and some emotion will trigger me, and I'll go back to that default programming and way of thinking. But the beauty of it is, I can see it quickly now. You can see it happening, and, and I can transition myself out of it. Well, and that is mastery. Because mastery is not to be the domineering, uh, you know, uh, person who is just suppressing all those patterns and emotions that you don't like. Mastery is being able to see that all emotions and all those old ways of being have a reason to be there. And when they're coming up, doesn't mean that, you know, we're doing something wrong. It's just a call for us to make another choice. It's a call for us sometimes also to reassure the more inner protective part in us and say, you know, I know what I'm doing. You can trust me. I know this triggers you. Mastery is to accept all of us, the light and the dark. That what makes us feel powerful. That what makes us feel powerless and move forward with a sense of acceptance, but also believe in yourself. And that's what you're doing. It's important to note, like you're saying, it's a process. It's it's not like I flip a switch and I'm done and I'm a new person. This is an ongoing lifetime journey. But it's the most gratifying journey. Absolutely. And it gives you in itself purpose because, you know, often I think we are thinking of, you know, the that when we have an issue, it needs to be within 40 hours resolved, just like, you know, we are uh, I don't know, making an order on Amazon and we are expecting it to be there the next day. And so we are in this very fast resolve mode. And if something takes longer, we get easily impatient and lose interest or even hope. And that's not really our nature. We have to really remember how long it takes in the womb to finally develop and be born and how long it takes as a child to be able to to walk, let alone talk. And, you know, things in nature take time and they take consistency and they take patience. But all of those things are what ultimately gives us results and real permanent growth. And when we are wanting to skip steps or when we get too impatient or like many people do, they read one book after another, go to one seminar after another, but nothing really sticks because nothing really gets implemented well, I think we are just treading waters. And that's the way so many people live their lives today. We want a quick fix. We want the pill. We want whatever is going to fix us without us doing the work. And that's why I think that it's really good when we are starting a, a journey like the empowerment solution journey with curiosity, you know, with really realizing this is not about fixing something. This is about discovering something. This is about remembering something we have forgotten and every step along the way, you will gain more insights and another nugget of your power back. And that is the gratifying part. As long as we're only thinking about what we want to get rid of, it is like, you know, taking every day out the garbage. That's not really gratifying. So you want to always see you're doing it because you gain something back. And in the end, you gain yourself back, your authentic self. The book is The Empowerment Solution. Six Keys to Unlocking Your Full Potential with the Subconscious Mind. If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Friedman and his work, you can visit drfriedman.com. Doctor, in our final moments, what's the takeaway? What would you like to leave our listeners with? Well, have really faith in yourself that you're always more than you think you are, that you're not defined by your shortcomings, by your patterns, by your anxiety. But these are also not something we should ignore or we should fight they're simply pointers that point us more closely to ourselves. And, and I know that from my own experience with anxiety and from many of the clients I've worked with, anxiety and all those survival patterns, the stronger they are, the more they are pointing towards something inside of you that you haven't unearthed yet. And that is often your greatest gift. So stay open, stay curious, stay committed, and stay compassionate with yourself. Doctor, thank you so much for joining us. I have really enjoyed this conversation, and I look forward to the time when you can come back. Anytime. Thank you so much for having me today. It was a pleasure. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. 
Do you feel lost on your journey to health and happiness? Then let us guide you on your path, personalized actions towards health. Your path is a series of choices you act on every day. We guide you on a personalized journey of dietary, exercise, genetic, supplement, and lifestyle choices that lead you to optimal health and happiness. Often taking the road less traveled leads to liberation. Your path is personal. Your journey, like you, is unique. Take action today. Head to bestpathforme.com. Again, that's bestpathforme.com. An invitation to appear on a radio show or podcast provides you with the opportunity to showcase your knowledge while promoting yourself, your products, and your business. It can elevate you as an expert, boosting your reputation, but only if you make a good impression. If you want to stand out as a great guest who is remembered, celebrated, and gets invited back, you need to give the host and listeners what they want while communicating with confidence and charisma. Contrary to the old adage, not all publicity is good publicity. Some can cause more harm than good. Hi, this is Joan Herman. As a public relations specialist, producer, and radio host who has conducted thousands of interviews, I have experienced all kinds of conversations. Some are great and leave the audience wanting more, while others are uninteresting, significantly diminishing the guest's appearance. After years on air, I can tell within minutes if a conversation will be stimulating, with listeners staying tuned in, or not. Being prepared with a compelling message makes all the difference. In my training program, It's Your Time to Shine, tips to be a successful sought-after radio and podcast guest, I provide valuable information that will empower you to make the most of any media appearance. You work hard to get the booking, so don't waste the opportunity because of a lack of skills or preparation. To learn more, visit my website, joanherman.com slash media training. That's joanherman.com slash media training. Hi, it's Linda from Linda Mitchell Coaching and Healing. Imagine yourself remaining calm, clear-headed, stress-free, and positive, even in the midst of life's greatest challenges. Good news, there's a proven process to help you do just that. And I'm living proof. Go to lindamitchellhealing.com to take a free assessment and learn the top ways you sabotage your success and happiness and how to finally break away from those old patterns. Let's talk after your free assessment at lindamitchellhealing.com. to your health. Joining me today is Dr. Rojini Raj, a board-certified gastroenterologist and television personality. Dr. Raj is here today to discuss digestive discomfort. Welcome, Dr. Raj. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Happy to be here. So, Doctor, digestive discomfort can be the result of more than just overeating. It may be caused by a condition called EPI or exocrine pancreatic insufficiency. Tell us about EPI. Sure. So EPI stands for exocrine pancreatic insufficiency, as you just said, and that's a condition where your pancreas is not producing enough digestive enzymes to digest your food properly. So what you may experience in that case are symptoms such as abdominal pain, bloating, diarrhea, or unexplained weight loss. And the issue is many of these symptoms are also symptoms that are similar to other GI conditions. So it's really important to speak to your doctor if you're experiencing these symptoms frequently or on a recurring basis to make sure you get the proper diagnosis and ultimately the proper treatment. And you can certainly learn more about these symptoms at identifyepi.com. Doctor, who is at greatest risk for having this? And, and how do we know when it really is more than just overeating? I mean, you know what our diets are like today. So how can we tell the difference? Sure. Well, in terms of EPI, it has been associated with certain conditions like cystic fibrosis, chronic pancreatitis, which is a chronic inflammation of the pancreas, or even people who've had some type of pancreatic surgery can develop this condition. Uh, but in terms of how do you tell if it's just an occasional indigestion or something that needs to be investigated, it's really about listening to your body, taking, paying attention to the frequency of the symptoms. So if it's just once in a while when you know you've kind of really overindulged, then that's probably something that happens to all of us occasionally. But if it's happening frequently, if it's recurring, if it's something that's affecting your life or your ability to enjoy your life, then it's certainly time to talk to your doctor and get to the bottom of the condition and make sure you know what it is so you can treat it appropriately. Can EPI be dangerous if left undiagnosed? Well, it certainly can affect your ability to absorb the nutrients that you need. It can lead to vitamin deficiencies, um, the weight loss as well it can be concerning. 
and it can be associated with some other very serious underlying conditions. We talked about cystic fibrosis and chronic pancreatitis, so it's certainly not something that you want to leave undiagnosed. Um, you want to get to the bottom of it and treat it. And where can our listeners go to get more information? IdentifyEPI.com has a lot more information about the condition and the symptoms associated with it. Dr. Raj, thank you so much for being here with us and for bringing this condition to our attention. Again, IdentifyEPI.com is a wonderful source for more resources. Thank you for being here. Thank you very much. We'll be right back. From the studios of AM 970, The Answer, on Broadway and Wall Street in Manhattan, this is WNYM, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. Welcome back to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. We all experience pain and we accept it as being human. Pain is such a big player in our lives that we search for ways to relieve it, which often brings more pain. According to today's guest, Guy Finley, we don't need to crumble under our pain. He says that we can learn how to use it in the right way in order to find new power and inner freedom. Guy is the best-selling author of The Secret of Letting Go and 40 other works. He's been a guest on national media and is the founder and director of the Life of Learning Foundation. Welcome, Guy. Thanks for joining us. Us. It is such a pleasure to have you back on the show. Thank you, Joan. You know, I'm, I always enjoy our time together. Well, Guy, I, I like this topic because pain is something that we all experience and no one can escape it. But much of the time, we think that it's just a normal part of life and we accept it. And it seems like this pain is getting deeper and deeper. If you look at statistics, suicide is up and people feel lost and they're anxious and they're depressed. So, what is it that you believe is happening that's making us feel this way? Well, first and foremost, I would say, honestly, that what we do is we resist the pain mm-hmm. that comes with this life because a part of us, and much to answer your question, believes that who and what we are is uh, somehow meant to walk through this life without any suffering at all, and that if we do have any pain, it's because we've missed the mark or otherwise fail to become what whatever it is that we imagined we were supposed to do or to be. And that idea drives us, the idea of becoming something uh, special, recognized, known, loved, whatever it may be, creates a, a kind of back pressure inside of us that we have no awareness of whatsoever, uh, because all we know to do is to serve the idea that says we're supposed to be like this, and then the pain of not hitting the mark, if you will, uh, validates the pain. So we're caught in a loop where we're convinced on one hand uh, of what we are meant to do, the purpose of our life, and can't reconcile that there's a relationship between this pain that won't go away that we resist and the fact that we have misunderstood the purpose of our life. So that's the main thrust of what I'm talking about. So, Guy, when you're going through these difficult times, you know negativity, those thoughts, they prevail. And then those thoughts create emotions and experience, which therefore perpetuate the thoughts. And that's the cycle. So what advice do you offer to help someone become conscious of those thoughts and make a switch? You know, this is a big, a big question, Joan. Let me tell, I know we have precious few moments, so I'll run through this story very quickly. Imagine a man who goes to a third world, fourth world country. To He's an anthropologist. He wants to study open air markets and the interaction of the native people. And so he finds himself uh, on the way to one of these open air markets when over the hill comes something that astonishes him. It's, it's a man uh, and a cart and a donkey, but the donkey has saddled the man and the man is pulling the cart that's full of sugarcane, chickens, and whatever produce is going to market. The anthropologist can't believe his eyes. Uh, how could a donkey saddle a man? So he, knowing the language, he goes and he comes to the man. He says, sir, I, I don't understand. What tradition is this? The donkey's riding you and that you're pulling the cart. And the man looks at him, smiles sheepishly and says, well, that's the only way I could get the donkey to go to the market. The point here is that we have become saddled with the false belief that somehow or other living and allowing negative states to tell us who we are and what we have to do by using this whip of pain to produce the results it wants, we've become a compromised race of beings. 
we are never meant to be subordinate to our own thoughts and feelings, let alone negative states that define and confine us. Everything, Joan, is upside down. So when you ask, what can we do? It begins with helping to be reminded of the fact that we are not meant to be saddled with useless pain, unworthy, undignified, corruptive, negative thoughts and feelings. Once we understand that, if we can feel the truth of it, then when something tries to mount us and drive us to market, so to speak, we can uh, recognize, experience the presence of that familiar pain in its pattern and understand, all right, look, you are not my boss. You don't ride me. In fact, you don't belong in my life, let alone uh, saddling me. So, Guy, once we recognize that pain, then how do we turn it into power? That's the beauty of what we're talking about, Joan. Do I need power if I can wake up and recognize where I'm agreeing to be made powerless? I'm going to re- I'll say it again. If, if my problem is unawareness of the fact that roles have been reversed, I have become the subject of my own thoughts and feelings, and that in that subjugation, I am made to suffer in the pursuit of their ends and goals. Do I need to do anything other than become aware of how I have agreed to be made powerless? Isn't the search for power in our lives the attempt to overcome what presently overcomes us? And if we see that what we're overcome by is a mistaken relationship with our own thoughts and feelings, then the moment that awareness grows, so does the powerlessness disappear. So once we see pain for what it is, we're released. Yes, it, it is not our authority. Right. Look, when you have a toothache, God forbid, how many of us know that when we have a toothache, we're not exactly uh, running a four minute mile to get to the dentist, agreed? Mm-hmm. Maybe not for you, for me <laughs> and most people I know. Right. The minute you have some unknown pain or one that promises to produce more, the last thing you want to do is deal with it. Right. Now, when we don't deal with our consciousness of that awareness of pain, does the pain get better or worse? Well, it goes deeper. That's exactly right. It is rooting itself deeper. Now, we're talking physically right now. And and what is the power by which it is rooting itself deeper into our life, bringing more pain eventually than what we've avoided? And the answer is something in us resists the awareness of that pain or problem. Now, take that idea and move it over to psychological or emotional pain. When we have a pain, a sense of disappointment, of being betrayed, of feeling empty, that feeling of pain is in fact a kind of messenger. It is initially a revelation in our own psyche that's trying to reach us and tell us something is wrong. We're missing the mark. Now, where we go wrong is that when we feel like we're missing the mark and begin to suffer that pain, we listen to the pain tell us what to do to heal us. An example, I'm, I'm struggling because I'm working already 18 hours a day, 90 days a week. I thought it would make me free if I could get financially secure. I got some security, but I still don't feel wealthy enough. So my pain of being completely cut off from life tells me, well, guy, the way to be feel better and get rid of this pain is to do more of what didn't heal you the first time. So we have to learn to be able to see and to listen to the part of us that's trying to tell us, all right, something is out of alignment here, and then have the courage to recognize that the pain that we're experiencing cannot bring an end to itself. We must discover the source of that disconnect, and that lives in our own consciousness. Guy, thank you so much for being here with us today. We allow pain to infiltrate every area of our life. And by listening to what you're saying and and allowing some of your strategies into our life, we can move through it and and really be able to feel more gratitude and, and blessings and joy. So thank you so much for being here. You're very welcome. And let us all agree to learn how to use this pain instead of letting it use us. We'll be right back.
When you're having a conversation in relationship and it's somewhat controversial, you probably want to be heard and be right. Quite often that's what we want. And so we're maybe a little defensive, but is that right? Or do we want a result? The result being we'd like to get along. Hi, I'm Lindsay Levinson, Quality for Life Coaching. And they are two different things, getting along versus being heard and being right. See, because being heard and right is our defense, then that connects to our ego. But ego's not really going to get you that far. If you want a result, then you're going to want to work with humility and truth. So if you've got a difference of opinion, I mean, for me, I'll quickly look for a reason to say I'm sorry. And it has to be true. If I don't know what I've done yet, then I will say, I'm sorry you're hurting. I've done something wrong here because you're hurting. But let's talk further so we can figure this out. And you don't want to talk at someone by saying you this and you that because people just shut their ears. You want to use words like we and use words like experience. I'm having this experience. I know your experience is different. There isn't a right or wrong. There's just different experiences going on here. So we just need to talk it through and land somewhere that feels really good for both of us. So you want to do a lot of that non-heated conversation so that you can both feel good, but nobody is charging at another person. It's not being heard and right. It's just working toward the positive result. Lindsay Levinson, qualityforlifecoaching.com. Look me up. I'd love to talk to you, help you in any way I might be able to. Is your immune system as strong as you would like it to be? Did you ever question if there is something else you can do to build a stronger immune system besides eating right, exercising, and getting plenty of rest? Energy work, such as Reiki, has been proven to help with reducing stress. We know that stress contributes to inflammation within our bodies, which can eventually wreak havoc on our immune system, potentially creating a host of critical health disorders. The purpose of Reiki is to cleanse, balance, and heal the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual bodies. Most of us pay attention to only our physical bodies. If we experience any adverse effects within our physical body, it normally would raise a red flag and we would seek out medical help. On the other hand, most of us are unaware of how much our mental and emotional bodies contribute to the health of our immune system. For instance, did you ever consider that unresolved anger over long periods of time can cause an unhealthy response in our liver? Our energetic systems must be in balance in order to create a harmonious vibration, which then contributes to the overall health of our immune system. Why not consider monthly Reiki sessions for yourself and begin working on your immune system? Hi, this is Roxy. San D'Angelo, a certified Reiki master. If you would like more information, you can reach me on the web at crystalclearenergies.com. We all want to live a happy, productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our coach on call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Odette Coronel a coach who helps people create the life and relationships they want. She's here today to discuss rethinking communication in your relationship. Welcome, Odette. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Joan. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. So, Odette, you work with a lot of couples. From interacting with them and hearing the things that they're experiencing, what do you believe are some of the biggest communication problems that couples experience today? Joan, that's a really good question. Great way to start with the problems that I see with couples today in terms of communication. I think the major problem is that we want to, or often these couples want to show to their partner that they're right, that they want to win the argument as opposed to wanting to just get to a place of understanding your partner and getting to a place of maybe coming to an agreement where you can both kind of agree to disagree. Because ultimately what we want in a relationship is to be understood and to be accepted. And we're not always going to agree. But we tend to become so focused on being right and proving our point that that's where we lose the argument because we, de- we then tend to communicate in ways that are adversarial. Well, and communication actually breaks down when that happens because you're talking at someone and you've stopped listening. Exactly. Once you're, you feel that you're being attacked, you're not listening. So it doesn't matter what you say. And the reason that I, uh, I think that it's important to rethink communication is because 
we tend to focus on the words that we're using and the things that we're saying. But sometimes it's really about how we're saying it, the tone, the body language, the use of language that feels like an attack. The other person, your partner, will feel like they need to defend themselves in that case. So that's where communication tends to erode. How can a person go about getting a better understanding of their communication style if they're the person that is doing the type of communicating you just described? I always like to say that we need to go back to the basics and look at our own five senses. Our senses are really antenna, right? They're, they're what we use in order to give and resend and receive information. So they're really a big part of our communication. So you want to focus on not just what you hear, but what you see and what you feel. And we need to understand what we want to communicate. And we want to be open to really understanding what our partner wants to communicate. And when we peel back the layers of communication, what we're really looking for is for our partners to communicate safety, to communicate trust, to communicate appreciation, support, that feeling of I have your back. I think that a a good sign is if your partner is saying to you, but you're not hearing me, you're not listening to me. I mean, I think that's a really good red flag to indicate that there is a problem. Exactly. And you need to have to to take a moment and focus on listening to your partner in that moment. But in order to be able to listen, you have to be able to calm yourself down. You have to be able to self-soothe, calm yourself down understand that it's not personal so that you can really hear what your partner is trying to tell you without taking it or interpreting it as a personal attack. So Odette, when we don't have good communication or relationship, when we're not listening to each other, when we're not engaging with one another or doing like you were saying, being supportive of the other person, what happens in that relationship? What happens in a relationship where communication breaks down is that little by little, other aspects of the relationship start to break down. You really start to, first of all, notice more of your partner's flaws as opposed to noticing your partner's positive qualities. It tends to affect the way that you communicate with your, as a family, even with your children and the children really pick up on that energy, that negative energy between the couple, and just all aspects of the relationship start to become more difficult. It feels almost like a burden even to speak on all other things. And the key is to really be open to ways of communicating that are useful and that are effective. And you want to be able to let go of the need to be right, let go of the feeling of of, you know, I'm, I'm the victim here in this exchange and really find some kind of resolution. And I think a big way that we can do this is by trying to be, rather than waiting for your partner to reach out and try to resolve matters, take the lead and offer your partner a bid for connection. Offer your partner um, almost like an olive branch. Be be willing to, and it doesn't have to be in a big gesture. It could be simply making a joke or if you're sitting on the couch, inviting them to watch a show with you. Just kind of taking a break and putting a pin on the disagreement and just take moments to connect. Do little bids where you remind each other that we do love and care about each other and that in the scheme of things, this conflict does not define the relationship. So Odette, in addition to being mindful, being open, releasing the need to be right, and creating a connection. Is there anything else that we can do to improve our communication? What we want to be aware of is we want to take responsibility for our role in the communication. So we want to be really aware of our own needs, our own desires, and our own way of communicating. In other words, the tone of our voice, our energy, our body language. We want to make sure that we're being open. We want to make sure that we're being empathetic with our partner. And by us taking the lead in terms of the communication, we're, we're sort of setting the tone for how the dynamic in this conversation or in this communication is going to happen. And then your partner will hopefully naturally mirror you as well. Odette, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about Odette and her work, you can visit odettecoronel.com. And as always, to hear more from Odette, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Odette Coronel. We'll be right back. 
An invitation to appear on a radio show or podcast provides you with the opportunity to showcase your knowledge while promoting yourself, your products, and your business. It can elevate you as an expert, boosting your reputation, but only if you make a good impression. If you want to stand out as a great guest who is remembered, celebrated, and gets invited back, you need to give the host and listeners what they want while communicating with confidence and charisma. Contrary to the old adage, not all publicity is good publicity. Some can cause more harm than good. Hi, this is Joan Herman. As a public relations specialist, producer, and radio host who has conducted thousands of interviews, I have experienced all kinds of conversations. Some are great and leave the audience wanting more, while others are uninteresting, significantly diminishing the guest's appearance. After years on air, I can tell within minutes if a conversation will be stimulating, with listeners staying tuned in, or not. Being prepared with a compelling message makes all the difference. In my training program, It's Your Time to Shine, tips to be a successful sought-after radio and podcast guest, I provide valuable information that will empower you to make the most of any media appearance. You work hard to get the booking, so don't waste the opportunity because of a lack of skills or preparation. To learn more, visit my website, joanherman.com slash media training. That's joanherman.com slash media training. I want to be riding my bike. But at this moment, he's fighting leukemia. St. Jude Children's Research Hospital is saving lives with pioneering research and care. And we'll never have to pay St. Jude for anything. Please take a moment and visit stjude.org today. joining us i hope you found the show informative at change your attitude change your life we believe that knowledge is power take what you've learned apply it and live your best life now remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation if you'd like more information visit our website cyacyl.com that stands for change your attitude change your life while on our site listen to past shows on demand read our digital articles check out our team and book club sign up for our mailing list and be sure to follow us on social media until next time this is joan herman thanks for tuning in The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.